Chapter One of the Shadow of Victory. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by Lynn Thompson. The Shadow of Victory by Myrtle Reed. Chapter One The Prophecy. It was a long, low room with a fireplace roughly built of limestone at one end of it. The blazing logs illuminated one corner and sent strange shadows into the others, while the winter wind moaned drearily outside. At the right and left of the fireplace were rude counters hewn from logs, resting on stumps of unequal height, and behind them were shelves packed with the sordid miscellany of a frontier trading post. A closed door on either side seemingly led to other apartments, but there was no sound save the wind and the crackle of the flames. A candle thrust into the broken neck of a bottle gave a feeble light to a little space around one end of the counter on which it stood. The rafters were low, so low that a tall man standing on tiptoe might easily unhook the smoked hams and sides of bacon that hung there, swaying back and forth when the wind shook the house. Walls, ceiling and floor were of logs cut into a semblance of smoothness the chinks were plastered with a bluish clay and the crevices in the floor were filled with a mixture of clay and small chips at the left of the chimney was a rude ladder which led to the loft through an opening in the ceiling fingers of sleet tapped at the glass swirling phantoms of snow drifted by passing for a moment at the windows as if to look within and one of the men moved his chair closer to the fire you fed the cattle, didn't you, Chan? The half-breed grunted assent. It was the eldest of the three who had spoken. His crouching position in his chair partially concealed his great height, but the firelight shone full upon his iron-gray hair, and the deep lines seemed upon his kindly face. His hands were rough and knotted, his fingers straight and square at the tips, hands without beauty but full of strength. The hand which rested on the arm of the chair next to him was entirely different. It was fair and smooth and slender, with tapering fingers, and with the outer line of the palm delicately curved, instinct with strength of another sort, yet gentle almost to the point of femininity. The hand accorded ill with the deep, melodious voice of the man, when he said, Uncle, you don't know how glad I am to be here with you and Aunt Eleanor. I feel as if I had come home at last after many wanderings you're welcome my boy was the hearty answer i'm glad you got through before this storm came cause travelling cross country isn't good in february as a rule things will be closed up now till spring and then what asked the young man trains of pack horses from rock river and the illinois canoes and a bateau from milwaukee in charge of canadian engage then the vessel from fort mackinac with goods for the trade and indians from all over creation the busy season begins in the spring chandonnet the half-breed was audibly asleep in his warm corner and the guest arose to walk nervously about the room he was clad in rusty black broadcloth which had seen all of its best days and some of its worst and clung closely to his tall lank figure as though in fear of the ultimate separation his hair was black and straight, his eyes deep brown and strangely luminous, 
his mouth sensitive and his face very pale he was not more than twenty-five or six and looked even younger john mackenzie quietly watched him in his uneasy march back and forth at last he came to the fire stopped short and put a questioning finger upon the limestone here's some initials he said j b p d s what does that stand for jean baptiste pointe de sable i reckon replied mackenzie he built this cabin the indians say that the first white man here was a negro p l m continued the young man who was he pierre lemay i guess the french trader i bought the place from you should put yours here too uncle not i my boy i have come to stay and my children after me that reminds me of my young charge shall we begin to-morrow as you like the sooner the better i suppose you brought books didn't you all that i have not many i regret to say johnny has a spelling book that came from mackinac in a chest of green tea when the vessel touched here last year he was very anxious then to know what was inside of it but i don't know how he feels now have you any special instructions for me no answered mackenzie rising he put his hand on the young man's shoulder and looked down into his face i never had much book learning he said because i ran away from school but i want that my son should have it teach him everything you know that he can learn it won't hurt him none teach him to tell the truth to be afraid of nothing but dishonor and to be kind to women you look like your mother boy the door opened suddenly and the gust of wind that came in with it put out the candle and filled the room with the odor of burning tallow how grunted a stalwart indian in general salutation how responded mackenzie what is it tonight the savage was more than six feet in height and looked like the chief that he was he was dressed from head to foot in buckskin cunningly embroidered and beaded by a squaw he wore nothing on his head but a brilliant blanket was draped over one shoulder a powder horn hung at his side and a hunting knife gleamed in his belt the squaw came in behind her lord and master and shut the door three gray wolfskins falling to the floor as she did so shawnee orki commanded the indian pointing to mackenzie the woman obediently laid the skins upon the counter and black partridge began to bargain for flour and bacon speaking in his own tongue an animated conversation ensued with many gestures on the part of the indian mackenzie answered quietly in the harsh potawatomi dialect and stood his ground the chief finally yielded with a good grace which might or might not have been genuine and the transfer was accomplished the indian picked up one of the skins and pointed to a blood stain near the top of it then began to talk rapidly mackenzie listened till he had finished speaking then turned to his nephew look here rob he said this will interest you he says he had no trap so he took his last piece of bacon and his hunting knife and went up to the north woods he sat down under a tree and waited with the bacon in his left hand and his knife in his right presently the hungry wolf appeared and after due investigation came near enough to stab he says he waited from midnight till almost sunrise a white man could never do that hardly returned the young man fingering the skin curiously 
What monumental patience! This speech, with a little additional compliment, was translated for the benefit of Black Partridge, whose stolid features gleamed momentarily, then relapsed into impassive bronze. A cheery whistle was heard outside, then a stamp upon the piazza, a merry and prolonged tapping, reinforced by a kick, at which the door burst open and a young soldier entered. "'Evening!' he shouted to Mackenzie. He pounded the Indian familiarly on the back, saying, "'Hello, birdie!' tweaked the squaw's ear and tickled her under the chin and reached the fire before anyone else had time to speak ronald said mackenzie this is my nephew robert forsyth from detroit mr forsyth ensign george ronald of fort dearborn ronald drew his heels together saluted with mock solemnity then wrung forsyth's slender hand in a grip that made him wince proud to know you sir third in command at your service sir have you come to enlist? Chandonnet awoke, muttered an oath, and ran to the door, shutting it noisily. Your pardon, sir, continued Ronald. Wind's from the south this evening. Thought I'd let a little warm air in. Never appreciated in this world. Hope I may be in the next. Do I speak to a soldier, sir? No, laughed Forsyth. Who's the lady you have with you, Birdie? asked the ensign, turning to the Indian. Am I mistaken in supposing it to be Mrs. B. Partridge? Me no speak English, answered the chief with great dignity. Neither do I, Birdie, neither do I, continued the soldier genially. Devilish language with all kinds of corners in it to hurt yourself on. I was pitched into it headlong the day of my arrival, and have been at sea ever since. Don't fall with it, Birdie. You're getting on all right with signs and pictures and grunts, and if Mrs. B. P. doesn't speak it, why, so much the better. Vast resources in the language known to women only. What, going? Bye-bye. Another breeze from the south entered the room as Black Partridge and the squaw made a stately exit, the woman carrying the provisions for which the wolfskins had been bartered. Ronald, began Mackenzie, drawing another chair from behind the counter, I'd advise you to be more careful with the Indians. They're a treacherous crowd. I am careful, answered the ensign, hurling a very shabby overcoat across the room and sinking comfortably into mackenzie's chair that's why i asked about mrs b p you see i was skating on the river this morning before this little snow flurry struck us and i met this lady she seemed to want to go so i took her with me she slid along on her moccasins hanging on behind and had a fine time till we struck a snowdrift just around the bend the woman tempted me and i did throw her into it Lord, how she squalled. It may have been ungallant, but it was fun. Mackenzie laughed in spite of his well-meant efforts to keep his face straight, and Forsyth's eyes were bright with new interest. Chandonnet was asleep again. It was quite natural to make inquiries, wasn't it? resumed Ronald. I wouldn't want to throw another man's wife into a snowdrift, especially when the gentleman in question is a six-foot savage with a tomahawk and peculiar ideas about fair play. "'Your manner of speech is not suited to the Indians,' said Mackenzie, soberly. "'There you go again, always criticising, always finding fault. "'Criticism irks me. That's why I left the fort this evening. "'Fussy lot over there.' "'What was the matter?' asked Forsyth. "'Nothing at all. Captain and his wife reading last month's papers "'and taking no notice of visitors. "'Lieutenant and his wife writing letters, likewise oblivious to visitors.' 
all inhospitable nobody asked me to sit down barracks asleep doc and i played solitaire because it's the only game he knows to see who could get through first and he kicked up a devil of a row because i cheated hasn't a man a right to cheat when he's playing solitaire no law against cheating yourself is there that's a mooted question forsyth answered maybe so maybe so i mooted it a while with the doc and then quit coming over i managed to get into a hole i broke in the river for this morning's bath but it was all slush and ice no harm done his garments were steaming in the generous warmth of the fire and perspiration beaded his forehead he stood a little over six feet in his stockings and his superb muscle was evident in every line of his body his thick yellow hair was so long that he occasionally shook it back like a mane he had the face of a viking blue eyes straight nose red and white complexion and a mouth and chin that in some way suggested steel one felt the dynamic force of the man his power of instant and permanent decision and the ability to put that decision into immediate action sorry you're not going to be a soldier mr forsyth he continued i knew you weren't as soon as i saw you you're altogether too young the barracks are full of old ladies with the rheumatism the parade ground is bloody with red flannel when the troops limp out which is seldom by the way the captain having a tender heart me and the other officers are the only ones under the age limit if there is any age limit when a man gets too old to be of use in the army the president says don't discharge the poor cuss send him out to fort dearborn where all his old friends are he'll be well taken care of and won't have anything to do when you see an old man in a tattered uniform bent and wrinkled and gummy-eyed who puts his hand up to his ear and says hey when you speak to him don't step on him he's a soldier stationed at the fort had a wrestling match with one of those most sprightly this very morning and took the skin off the poor tender old devil in several places doc made a surpassingly fine seam at one of the places afterward doc's pretty good with a needle and thread the patient is in his bunk now being rubbed with hot things by one of the rheumatics i've tried to get the doc to prescribe a plunge in the river every morning for the barracks and i've urged the captain to order it but it's no use peculiar treatment for rheumatism smiled mackenzie it's the only thing they haven't tried and i'm inclined to think it would work for a change there was a brief silence during which forsyth studied the young officer attentively but roland was never still very long what are you going to be if not a soldier he asked curiously you're you're not a missionary are you do i look like one can't say missionaries are deceiving but i hope not the potawatomis tomahawked the last one and fried the remains they're not yet ready for the soothing influences of religion i have come to teach my young cousins said forsyth slowly and to help my uncle as i can i graduated from college last year and went to detroit to teach but i-i didn't do very well his pale face reddened as he made his confession uncle john and aunt eleanor have kindly offered me a home with them he went on they're the only relatives i have they are relatives enough remarked the ensign mrs mackenzie is the kindest woman and the best cook that ever lived isn't she chan the sleeper made no replies so ronald strode over to him and shook him roughly wake up he bellowed is mrs mackenzie a good cook or isn't she answer the half-breed was frightened for a moment but quickly realized the situation what 
he asked the question was repeated with sundry shakes for emphasis yes grunted chandonnet sheepishly she good cook sit up straight then and look your prettiest you can't sleep all day and all night too the restless visitor made a rapid tour around the counters carefully examining the goods upon the shelves nothing here i can use he announced returning to the fire what was that silver thing the indian had on asked forsyth it looked like a coin of some kind that was his precious medal captain wells gave it to him and he prizes it more than he does the hair of his lordly top piece when birdie dies you'll find that sacred medal nailed to him and if it doesn't accompany him to the happy hunting grounds his ghost will haunt the miserable mortal who has it don't mind a plain ghost myself but a ghost with a tomahawk might be pretty bad i make silver things for the indians sometimes mackenzie said they call me shawneeorki meaning the silver man a face appeared at the window for an instant and peered furtively within it was so silent and so white in the midst of the swirling snow that it might have been a phantom of the storm then the door opened slowly creaking ever so little on its hinges and was softly closed they felt rather than heard a presence in the room forsyth turning saw a wisp of a woman bent and old in a faded blue calico dress which came scarcely to her ankles her shoes were much too large for her and badly worn a ragged shawl of uncertain color and pattern was her only protection from the cold it slipped off as she came toward the fire moving noiselessly and forsyth saw that her hair was snow-white and her face finely traced with wrinkles mackenzie looked also mad margaret he whispered to forsyth in a swift aside don't say anything the half-breed's eyes had a wolfish glitter which no one saw forsyth rose bowed politely and offered her his chair if she saw him she made no sign coming closer to the fire she crouched on her knees before it and stretched her frail delicate hands towards the grateful warmth ronald's flood of high spirits instantly receded for a long time they sat there in silence mackenzie and the ensign were looking into the fire thinking perhaps of things a thousand miles away while forsyth and chandonnet narrowly watched the woman unmistakable madness of the dumb pathetic kind was written on her face her unseeing eyes were faded blue her cheeks were sunken and her chin delicately pointed solitude went with her always she might have been alone in the primeval forest before a fire some unknown hand had kindled among wild beasts of whom she was not afraid some eerie influence was upon her for after a little she moved nervously and peered into the flames muttering to herself oh lord groaned mackenzie she's going to have one of her spells how often the poor crazed creature had sought him when the tempest swept her soul only he could tell he leaned forward and took hold of her hand margaret he said margaret the touch and the voice seemed to quiet her but she still looked searchingly into the flames chandonnet rose reached up to the chimney shelf and took down a violin with the first touch of the bow upon the strings she left mackenzie and went to him kneeling at his feet with her eyes fixed hungrily upon his face strains of wild music filled the room music which no man had ever heard before 
a tender half-hushed whisper the tinkle of a brook a twilight subtleness of shadow then a low crooning note as if the brook had gone to sleep strange sounds of swaying branches came from the violin with murmurs of a mighty wind then of a sudden there seemed to be dawn the tinkle of the brook began again with a bird note here and there at the beginning of a great crescendo which swept on and on as the music of the river was woven in question prayer and mating call from a thousand silvery throats rioted through the tapestry of sound then merged into a deep passionate tone of infinite sweetness as if the river had found the sea or a man's tortured soul had come face to face with its ultimate peace play said mad margaret brokenly play more once again the bow swept the strings bringing forth a melody which breathed rest it was quiet and hushed like the woods at twilight or the shore of a sea that knows no storm through it ran a haunting cadence with the rhythm of a lullaby and margaret rocked her frail body back and forth unconsciously keeping time when it was finished she sat quite still but on her face was the rapt look of the seer i see blood she said very distinctly much blood then fire and afterward peace it was the old old prophecy which she had made a thousand times much blood she repeated shaking her head sadly where peggy asked ronald suddenly here she answered making a wide circle with her arms what else do you see he asked again looking at her intently she drew her hand wearily across her forehead and closed her eyes for an instant then went to him and put her hands on his knees i see you she said meaningly where peggy his voice was low and very gentle as if he were speaking to a child here with the blood you shall have many sorrows but never your heart's desire never my heart's desire no many sorrows at the time of the blood but not that what is my heart's desire it has not come but you will know it soon she looked at him keenly for an instant then laughed mockingly and almost before they knew it she had darted out into the night like the wild thing that she was no one spoke until after chandonnet had put the violin into its place on the chimney shelf and clambered up the ladder which led to the loft who is she uncle nobody knows sighed mackenzie she appeared unexpectedly the very day we came here sometimes months go by without a glimpse of her then for a time she will come every day how does she live mackenzie shrugged his shoulders we give her things he said and so do the indians and the people at the fort black partridge says he has seen her catch a gull on the lake shore strangle it and eat it raw at the full of the moon when her rages come on her she speaks very good english at other times she mutters something no one can understand or else she does not speak at all she is harmless i believe she is only one of the strange things one finds in a new country how did you come to settle here uncle i hardly know it's a good place for trading and the fort is nearby i like the new places where a few make their own laws and i like the prairie i can breathe here but the hills choke me 
Never my heart's desire, mused the ensign. He was sitting with his elbows on his knees, and his chin in his hand, gazing into the fire. He did not know that he had spoken aloud. Do any of us ever find it? asked Forsyth. Not often, I guess, answered Mackenzie. When we do, we are disappointed and begin to seek for something else. From across the river, muffled by the storm, came the deep, sonorous notes of a bell. Taps, said Ronald. He hurried into his overcoat without a word of farewell and bolted. Forsyth followed to close the door after him, and then went to the window to look at the dark, floundering figure silhouetted dimly against the snow. Breezy young man, commented Mackenzie. Yes, answered Forsyth, after a moment's silence. I like him. End of chapter 1